The following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, that song is my prayer. I could, I could basically repeat each word if I had the song memorized, but... I do pray now that you would shine on us, Spirit of God. Father, you would, you would ordain, that you would choose to generously pour out your Spirit upon me and upon us. Show us Jesus. Show us now all that we have in him, all that he is for us. Please transform us at the sight of him. That's how you say in your word this whole thing works. We, we see him, and as we behold him, we are transformed. We need this transformation, probably more than we realize. Do we so need it? We need you. So please, would you be so generous to give us you? I, th I thank you. Just, just thinking that the playing of the songs just now, how much of your generosity is on display there in people like Helen, whom you've given to great skill in playing the piano and uh, cognitive ability to understand notes on a page and translate them onto white and black keys on a keyboard and that that skill translates into something that we are all blessed with and it translates not just into music but something that points us to you just each week it seems you are so generous to us through the ministry of music through the skills that you've given to each person and thank you for it and i pray that you would do that here and now would you be generous with us would you be who you are would you be what you have promised to be would you lavish us with yourself would you cause us to leave here today changed do this for the sake of your name for the glory of your name we pray amen i invite you to look with me at the book of exodus this morning Exodus 19, the second book of the Bible. Exodus 19. We will be thinking this morning about the doctrine of the priesthood of believers. The priesthood of believers. This is the first of three sermons, Lord willing, this summer on this subject. And while I will touch on several points of Scripture, our primary text this morning will be verses 1 through 8 of Exodus 19. Let me read. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. The word of the Lord. This passage comes on the heels of God saving a people not yet a nation, 
from slavery in Egypt. God has been miraculously, wondrously, incredibly generous to this undeserving people. But now what? Out here in the wilderness at Mount Sinai between Egypt and the promised land, what now? Who are we? What do we do? What are we up to? What's our purpose? That's the essential question that God answers beginning here and then really going all the way through the book of Leviticus, all the way through to Numbers 10. God is answering that question. Who are you and what's your purpose? Why did I save you out of Egypt? Ancient questions that we ask in the present. You know, we, we, we have never had more freedom as a people to look within ourselves and to express ourselves, and yet we as a people only come up with more questions, just confusion. Uh, it seems today that the whole world is in the midst of an identity crisis. Do you feel that? I mean, you see it everywhere. And you know what? The, the church, too. Christians are confused. Christians have an identity crisis. Maybe you've felt this. Okay, I'm saved. Sweet freedom and relief. <sighs> what now? <laughs> I gotta go to my job tomorrow. I'll do that. But what now? What am I doing? We, we are so blessed in this country, especially in this country. Christian schools, Christian colleges, Christian bookstores, great big church buildings, beautiful church buildings. And, and this is such a miracle if you think about it, about how unique this is in the history of mankind. We live in a country that has in its founding document the freedom to worship God unmolested just as we please. Miraculous. Sovereign grace. And yet, we still are asking the question, what is this all for? What am I supposed to be up to? What's my purpose? And of course, the world offers no end of possible identities that one could take on in this identity crisis. But, but that, are those identities what we are really made for? Do they actually, in the end, produce something that is enduringly good? Or are they just masks that we wear depending upon our season of life? So into this swirling confusion, the ancient book of Exodus speaks. In fact, we're going to look at Exodus, but this passage pulls on a thread that runs from the beginning of the Bible all the way through the end. From the beginning of history all the way to the end. As we will see. Moses, the leader of the people, goes up on Mount Sinai to hear from God. And God tells Moses, and from Moses to the people, I saved you. I destroyed your enemy that was, that was enslaving you, that, that was killing you. And I bore you up. I brought you to myself as if on the wings of eagles. I am God. I possess the whole world. And yet I chose you, an insignificant, non-powerful, enslaved people. I chose you. And my saving you means that now you have a new identity. And because of that new identity, you now have a new purpose. You are now my treasured possession. I own everything in the world. I don't need anything. But I chose you to be my treasured possession. It's a sovereign grace. I chose you to be my treasured possession. And your new purpose, your new role on the earth is to worship and serve me. And the, the shape of this worship and this service is as a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Holy, not so much in the sense of pure, but in the sense of set aside. Set aside special for a special purpose among all the nations of the world. A kingdom of priests. And this leads me to the first of two thoughts, two points this morning, and they are really just the what and the how. The what of what it means to be in this kingdom of priests and the how. How do we function as, king, as priests within this kingdom? The first point is this. 
God is sovereignly, graciously creating a people who all serve him by enjoying access to him, sacrificing before him, and expounding him to each other and to the world. I'll say it again. That's a long sentence. God is sovereignly, graciously creating a people who all serve him by enjoying access to him, by sacrificing before him, and by expounding him to each other and to the world. Serving him for what purpose? Well, this people are descendants from Abraham, the one to whom God promised that in Abraham, from his offspring, all the nations of the world would be blessed. God is out to bless the world, every, na- every nation, every people, through this, not even yet a nation, nation. The nation was to become more like God, and, and as they became more like God, they would portray God to the world, and not only portray God, but proclaim him to the world. In other words, they were to bless the world by giving the world God. As they were treasured, they were to give their treasure away to the world. Their treasure being God himself portrayed and proclaimed through this treasured people. A treasured people. God takes a people who just a short time ago were insignificant, not powerful, poor, weak, a nothing of a people. And he saves them, and then he vests them with incredible, singular dignity. you got to see this. Dignity. Where there previously was none. Royal dignity. Breathtaking importance in the history of the world. Vital purpose. Vital to the whole world. Singular, royal dignity. By sovereign grace. They did not deserve this, nor did he need it. And he is bestowing this dignity on all of them. God is here addressing in Exodus 19 the entire nation. You will all be to me a kingdom of priests. Now, as we keep reading our Bible, we do see that one clan of Israel, the Levites, were set aside as priests. But that was only on the principle of representation for practical purposes. The Levites represented the firstborn from each family, and they were placed geographically within each tribe. But the Levites' role was only a practical, representative role for the entire nation. The entire nation was saved out of Egypt in order to serve God as priests. That as we look further at the Levites, some principles do emerge about what it means to be a priest. What does it mean? The Levites were first ritually washed. They were cleansed from head to toe, just like the nation, coming through the Red Sea, baptized through the Red Sea. They were consecrated, set aside for their role, just like the nation. And while each clan had an inheritance of land in Canaan, the Levites, their inheritance was the Lord himself. God himself is their great reward. Again, portraying what was ultimately true for the entire nation. God was their reward. And after being consecrated, the Levite priest was then clothed with priestly robes, clothed in royal priestly dignity. The Levites enjoyed access to go before God and administer the sacrifices for the nation, for sin and forgiveness. And within the Levites, there was a hierarchy. There was a high priest and priests. High priest and a kingdom of priests. The Levites representing the kingdom of priests. High priest and priests. All under their king, God, Yahweh. A kingdom of priests. And lastly, the Levites had the duty to expound the law of God, to Explain God in all of his detail. Explain him to the rest of the people. People speaking of God to people. Again, the nation was to, through the Levites, enjoy privileged access to God. That's the first 
job of a priest to enjoy access to God. Secondly, they were to sacrifice to this God in joyful worship. And through the Levites, they were to meditate on the law of God as it was passed from person to person. Then the nation itself would become holy. It would look more and more like God. And then as it looked more and more like God, it would become a living portrayal of God to the nation. This people was to become a sort of a living media to the nations, picturing God, portraying him so that they could actually see God and, and God's holiness as the nations would see his holiness. His holiness would become contagious. This is why, if you remember, God said that the people were not to come and touch the mountain, Mount Sinai, while they waited for Moses. That the holiness of God has a contagiousness to it. And as the people would say it, they would be drawn to the glory of God, seen in this undeserving, previously weak and undignified people. God is the supreme, infinite good in the universe. It goes without saying, and yet we need to say it. <laughs> and being so good, he is generous. And therefore, he longs to push the supreme good of himself, of himself, of himself, into every nook and cranny of creation. He longs, his whole goal of all of history is for his glory to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. This is his goal. This is the point. This is why God was sovereignly saving and dignifying and purposing this people, this insignificant people. Now, there was just one contingency, one requirement. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, and the people reply naively in verse 8, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. Naively because they can't even wait for Moses to come down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments before they make a golden calf defect from God and worship a man-made God. We keep reading. And the story of Israel continues this cycle of promises and failure. The rest of the story makes one thing really, really clear. Unless God changes man's heart, man cannot serve him. Unless God transforms the inner person, we, you and I, no one can serve him. Even those with a bent in their heart to serve God, even the best of Israel, David, said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We need more than good intentions. We keep reading our Bibles, and we see one other thing that is surely true, the unbreakable grace of God. Charlie has already read from Isaiah 43. We continue reading in Isaiah 61 of the year of the Lord's favor. And his favor comes in the form of a person who has the spirit of God. And through this one, the, the people of God, it is said, will be clothed with beautiful headdresses, with garments of praise and worship. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, so that the Lord would be glorified. These ones will build up the ancient ruins, it says, raise up the former devastations, repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Through these ones, God will restore the whole world to himself. They shall be called, it says, priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. God is not done creating a people to give good, supreme good to the world. Then we read in Jeremiah 33, God's people, it says, will never lack a king and will never lack a priest serving before God. But then, confusingly, keep reading, and Ezekiel gives us a picture of the Spirit of God leaving the temple in Jerusalem. What does that mean? I thought. Then, 400 years of silence. Until, as we saw just last week, a king rides into Jerusalem. A 
king on a donkey, speaking the words of God like a prophet and praying like a great high priest, consecrating himself for God's people. Of course, I'm talking about Jesus, and this leads us to the second point. Entrance into and usefulness in God's priesthood. Entrance into and usefulness in God's priesthood comes only through spirit-created union with God's great high priest. I'll say it again. Entrance into and usefulness in God's priesthood comes only through spirit-created union with God's great high priest. All of the strands of priesthood come together in Jesus. Jesus is the only one who has always heard and always obeyed the voice of God. Jesus alone has kept God's covenant perfectly. Only Jesus will function forever as the great high priest of God. This is why in the book of Hebrews, the author there says that Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Quoting from Psalm 10, Psalm 110. Melchizedek, if you remember the book of Genesis, was the mysterious priest of Salem, the one whom Abraham honored by paying him a tithe. And what is strange about Melchizedek in Genesis is that everybody else in Genesis is spoken of as begetting so-and-so and then dying. So-and-so, uh, he was begotten, and then he lived, and then he begat so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and then he died. Everybody, except Melchizedek. He just pops into the story, floats down from Jerusalem, Abraham pays him a tithe, and then he pops back out of the story again. Strangest thing. And what the writer, of the he- writer to the Hebrews is picking up here is that Melchizedek is a picture, a type of the great high priest who is to come, who will reign forever, who will serve before God forever for God's people as the great high priest over a kingdom of priests. One day this high priest will come to Jerusalem and go to the cross and make himself the perfect sacrifice to God. Jesus consecrated himself to die himself for his people, for us, so that we could be cleansed once and for all, washed from head to toe. Jesus alone, by going to the cross and being raised from the dead, has earned the right to have unfettered access to the Father forever. Only Jesus, evidenced by the Father raising him from the dead, can lay claim to the title, God's treasured possession. Jesus alone. Yes, there is a priesthood of Melchizedek, but we say with worship and humility, there is only one person in this priesthood, and it is God's great high priest, Jesus So you see, the, the, the history of the people of God, it, it funnels down from a, from a people and a nation, down, down, down to one man, one person, one priest, one Israel, Jesus. But then, that funnel turns into an hourglass by the Spirit. Jesus consecrates himself for God's people and he he sends himself to the cross and he is raised from the dead and then he ascends to the Father's right hand and he sends his spirit. And the spirit comes into the world and the spirit is the one that takes away our blindness and lifts away the darkness and allows us to actually see Jesus for the first time, to actually behold him. And it it is in the beholding of Jesus by the Spirit lifting away your blindness, that anyone is transformed, that anyone is actually changed. We see Him, and, and we see that He is our life, that he, he is our glory, that He is our hope. We see this, and we are transformed. 
And the next thing that we do is we bank our lives on him. We throw our very life upon him for life. If, if right now, if, if you do not have this faith, this faith that I was just talking about, whatever you thought faith meant before, the faith that I was just talking about, if you do not have this, the best thing that you can do is not um, leave here today and get busy trying harder. The best thing that you can do is ask God, tell God, I don't have this faith. I have good intentions. I don't have faith. Will you grant me your spirit to take away my blindness and to show me Jesus? That'll be enough. Start there. Start there. Because, this is so good. The Spirit, based on that faith, does something. He unites us to Jesus. So now, everything that is true for your great high priest, Jesus, is now true for you if you have this faith. It is true. You don't earn this or create it. It is true. Counted righteous as though we had always heard and always obeyed the voice of God and kept his covenant perfectly. Complete, 24-7, unfettered access to the very throne room of the God of the universe. To come into his presence, not like a slave, not like God's employee, not even like a beloved child, as his beloved child. To have all of your sacrifices for him accepted by him smiled upon by him because of Jesus' work and worth before him for you because Jesus consecrated himself for you. You now therefore are a priest because you are united to the great high priest. There is no such thing as a Christian who is not a priest. If you are, you are united to the great high priest, you are a priest. A priest to God with all of the privileges and all of the responsibilities that come with this. Your first responsibility, beloved child, your first job is to enjoy being God's treasured possession. Start there. To enjoy it. To revel in it. To, to revel in the fact that it is secure for you, not based upon what you did, but because Jesus was raised from the dead. The only way that that can be reversed is if Jesus' resurrection could be reversed. You are sincerely, joyously treasured by God because you are united to God's, the, the apple of his eye. You're with Jesus. That's just true. Enjoy it. You have a new identity. And this identity is secured forever for you. A priest of the Most High God. All because of His sovereign grace lavished upon you undeserving people. Lavished upon you through your great High Priest. This is why Peter, in 1 Peter 2.9, picks up the very same language almost quotes Exodus 19 and applies it to Christians. He says, and I quote, but you, Christians, you are. I wonder sometimes if the most important word in that sentence is are, not should be. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people like Israel, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A royal priesthood set aside for proclaiming the excellencies of your God. That's your purpose. That's your identity. That trumps all other purposes and all other identities. 
It applies to every aspect, every nook and cranny of your life, everywhere you go. This is your eternal purpose. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10 put it this way, speaking to Jesus, about Jesus here. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open, open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. We will spend eternity reigning with King Jesus. And if you have the imagination to picture this, we will spend eternity serving God right alongside our great high priest, Jesus, as his comrades, glorifying God. Amazing, amazing privilege, amazing grace. And this is our purpose today and tomorrow, Monday morning. Each one of us, a royal priest, all together portraying and proclaiming his excellencies internally, one to another, and externally out there. Within our church, in our community, in our discipleship groups, in our classes, in our relationships, and outside our church, through our jobs and in our families, to our neighbors and friends, wherever we go, every nook and cranny. Now, before we start to think about how we go about that, and we will have much more to say in the, the second two sermons about the how internally and externally. Before we talk about that, think for a moment about the magnificent dignity that has been conferred upon us. And think about, therefore, the dignity that has been conferred upon your place and your vocation in life. Your place in life and the vocation that God has called you to. Think for a second about the infinite dignity that has been placed there because of this new identity and this new calling that God has upon you. God made the world and therefore he owns the world and therefore he loves the world, every nook and cranny of it. He loves the world so much that he put you in your place with the Spirit. He put you in your vocation, in that place around those people for the purpose of proclaiming His excellencies there, of serving at his, as His priest, as His royal priest right there in that little corner of creation. God loves that little corner of creation that much. He wants his own excellencies to be pushed there, to be seen there, to flow from there. God did not choose to put John Piper or Pastor Steve in that place. God put you there. God united you to the great high priest Jesus and filled you and linked you to this Jesus with the Spirit and put you there to proclaim his excellencies there. Amazing dignity. Amazing dignity that has been conferred upon your job and your place in life. Your role in life. Now, God sovereignly ordains bakers and bankers and barbers and mothers and preachers and baristas and secretaries and plumbers and writers all over the world. And most of them don't acknowledge God. Most of them just go about their business with never a thought about God, just doing their jobs. And all of them, however, have been ordained by God. All of them are His generosity to the world. God is constantly ordaining 
and organizing the world to push good into the world because God loves this world and he is doing that through each person. No one's vocation is an accident. Everyone has had their vocation ordained by God for God to push good into the world through that person, whether they acknowledge him or not. That is true. But you, Christian, being a royal priest of God, you confer upon your place and your vocation an unspeakable dignity because this is where you have been placed to portray his excellencies, to proclaim them. This place is now the context of your worship of your spiritual sacrifices to God. It happens there and there, wherever you go. We make these places by being there holy, hallowed ground. So by, by place in life, I mean your social or economic place. The dignity that has been conferred upon you by the Spirit means that, for instance, inside the church, a single person is no less important or no less uh, filled with the potential and the power of God to display God than the married couple. The poor possess no less dignity and importance than the wealthy. Your value, your value is not tied to a spouse or to achieving the corner office or how much you get paid. We all enter the grave penniless. It's not about that. What matters most, what, 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 differenti what differentiates a person, one person from the next, is that God has assigned you to that place. And not only that, what matters even more is, that, is what God wants to have portrayed and proclaimed there. What matters most is what you bring to that place. That's what gives you dignity. That's what gives you value. That's what gives you importance. Is what you bring with you by your union, by the Spirit, with Jesus. You bring Jesus by the Spirit. That's what makes you valuable. So I, I hope you see that, that, that this picture could change everything. It could change how, how you see your world. Therefore, your, your place and your vocation, as long as it's not inherently sinful, that is, your place and your vocation has conferred upon it a royal dignity and importance. God is being generous to the world by placing you there to proclaim and portray him there to the world. To proclaim his excellencies there. Christian, because you are united to Christ by the Spirit, you have such, such potential, such power, such, such power right at your disposal, right at your fingertips. You did not earn this. It is all by God's sovereign grace. Now, right here, right at this moment, this line of thinking, we are so prone to drive into a ditch. Having been saved by the Spirit, having been conferred this, this royal dignity and starting to get it, we are so, so prone to set aside that dignity and to disrobe and to take off those royal garments, to set them aside and to try to be fruitful and useful in the world by our own strength, by our own power, by our flesh. But what is true for us in salvation is also true for us throughout our lives. By the Spirit, we are saved by union with Christ. And by the Spirit, we are also empowered through union with Christ. In a world where He is King, all our good, all that we need to be truly successful comes from his sovereign hand from his provision it all comes from him just yesterday i was reading um, psalm 127 which is attributed to king solomon the master builder of israel you may remember solomon writes there unless the lord builds the house the builder labors in vain Unless the Lord guards the city, the guard on the tower guards 
in vain. Unless the Lord grants children, couples procreate in vain. Children are a, her- are a heritage, it says, from the Lord. All the skill and circumstances and provision for successful outcomes in your life come from, they are ordained by the Lord. They do not come from you. Solomon knew this, he wrote this, but he did not live it. If you keep reading, later in his life, he was a wreck. He was a wreck. And we have no less of this potential within us. This, we are no less prone to go in this direction. We all have a natural bent within us to trust our flesh. And, and please hear me. If this is sounding like a small problem to you, a pedestrian problem, it is not. You should, you should read the Bible, if nothing else, to see how Solomon's life turned out. A terrible wreck in his work, in his marriage, and with his God. Largely because he forgot the very thing that he wrote here. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builder labors in vain. But the flip side, flip that over. The flip side is that with God, the outcome is assured. With God, we no longer need to toil like crazy, losing sleep over our work or over our culture or over our families. We can hit our heads on the pillow at night and fall fast asleep, it says. In fact, in fact, with God, we become, I hope this makes sense, we become the truest forms of ourselves through spiritual communion with Christ. Through that communion, only through that communion, do we become the truest forms of ourselves. Well, only then do we become a real accountant, a real builder, a real pastor, a real mother, a real man, a real student. Only through this this spiritual link with Jesus do we become the truest form of ourselves, the the most real version of that. On this July 4th holiday, only, only through this spiritual linkage do we become the truest Americans, or the truest Uduk, the truest Chinese. Whatever place or vocation you are in, you are not the truest form of that apart from being nourished by and transformed by this, this spiritual linkage with Jesus. Hear me. This is so true, and so much of your life turns on you understanding this point. Therefore, therefore, what we need most, what we need most is continual inner spiritual transformation. That's what we need most. To be a useful priest of God in the world does not begin with working harder or finding the right ministry model or reading the right books, although those could all be helpful. The necessary thing is spiritual communion with our crucified, raised, reigning, and soon returning great high priest. The thing we need most is to see, we Christians, to see Jesus more clearly. But tell me, how how can one describe, how can one proclaim the excellencies, say, of a painting to another person? if the first person does not first gaze upon the painting, gaze upon it, spend time with it, soak it in. How? You can't. We need to see Jesus more clearly. We need need the Spirit to show us Christians Jesus more clearly. We need the Spirit. Now, we already have the Spirit. So, therefore, we don't actually need extraordinary, extraordinary means of grace to see Jesus more clearly. We simply need to take hold of the things that the Spirit has already ordained for us to see Him more clearly, those ordinary means of grace. We need prayer. Do you make use 
of your full access to God in heaven, asking him for favor to proclaim his excellencies in your work, through your work, that your work itself would proclaim his excellencies. Do you ask him for this? Do you, do you, do you take hold of that privilege to walk into the throne room of God 24-7 and ask him for his spirit? Do you? We need our Bibles. We need the Spirit's words to constantly remind us that we can do nothing without Jesus and that we already have everything in Jesus. And we need each other. You need the other priests in this room. There is a sense in which we all already have all of Jesus. That is true in a sense, but not yet. Until he returns, he has ordained that you would get some of Jesus, that you would see him more clearly through the other priests in this room, expounding him to you. And they need you. They need you. So what does this mean? Um, this means don't be shy if you are young. And don't be shy if you are old, however you define those words. Don't be shy. It's not about you. And you have the Spirit of God within you. You have access, the very same access to Jesus as everyone else in this room. No matter your age, no matter your stage in life, no matter how much money you have, you have no less of Jesus than the next person. So don't be shy because of your stage, your stage of life, your place, your age. It's not about you. And it's actually not even first about the other person. It's not about them either. It's about God. God saved you. The, the storyline of history is that God is saving you for God, to be a priest to God. This has been the, the huge point of, of my repentance probably throughout my life, but especially this week as, I, as I've thought about this passage. Jed, repent. Repent of preaching a sermon or of doing ministry to people. You are a priest, Jed, I'm telling myself, to God. This is not first about any of you people, as great as you are. This is about God this moment, right now. It's not about you. It's not about me. Your job, your children, your marriage, your church, your friendships. The Spirit has freed you in Christ to no longer make it about you. You are so privileged, so filled, so covered with dignity already. You're free. You're free to make all of these things about God. To enjoy your access to God. To sacrifice before Him in every nook and cranny of your life. All the while proclaiming Him. Proclaiming Him to each other and to the world. You people. You people. <laughs> you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for God's own possession. Can you believe it? That that's true about you. And about me. God's own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Christian, that is your history. That is your identity. And that is your purpose. It is just true. So by the Spirit... May we enjoy this. May we embrace this. And may we pursue it. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for our new history. Thank you for what you have done. You have been so magnificently generous to us. You didn't have to be so good to us. 
You didn't have to do anything. You have been so lavish, so sovereignly gracious to us. We say thank you. I pray that you would cause your spirit. I don't, I don't know about the, everybody else. I'm awfully hot right now. I, it feels stuffy in here. And I pray that you would cut through that and cause even now your spirit to work in us. Cause us to see what we have in you. And to see it, and to love it, and to enjoy it. think about Christmas morning, the, the number one thing that I want of my children is just to simply sit there and enjoy. I get so much pleasure just watching them enjoy what I've given them. Would you make us a people that just sit at your feet and enjoy being your treasured possession? And would you make us a people that enjoy our access to you? That take you up on it? And the people who therefore out of joy, out of joyful worship, sacrifice to you. I think if we were to get that, whatever comes next on Monday morning is going to be pretty good. It's going to be pretty good. Whatever is expounded to each other and to the world, it's going to be pretty good. I have great confidence in your spirit working in us. So would you do it? Would you fill us with your spirit even now as we as we take communion and continue to commune with you. In your name I pray, for your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.